0: Greetings in Jesus' name. I'm Bishop Chester Wright, and uh, this is the third part of a six-part series that the Holy Ghost has specifically instructed me to teach because it, these uh, scriptures, these abundance of scriptures, demonstrate that our place in God is not just faithful church attender. That our place in God is not just uh, a faithful church member. Uh, that our place in God is not just to be uh, someone who pays our tithes and lives a separated life and obeys the pastor. All of those things are important. But they are not the definition of Christianity according to the word of God. They may be very common symptoms or characteristics, some of very common characteristics of true Christianity. But they are not the end-all to be-all definition of Christianity. I'm not here to find fault with anybody. I'm just trying to share what the Word of God says. But if you listen to the first two parts of this uh, series, and after listening to this part today, if you have not begun by that time to begin to see that our concept of what we're what being saved is all about, and our concept of what being saved and living a saved life is all about is very different than what the Word of God says, uh, then I have completely failed to communicate effectively what God is trying to say, because it is impossible to hear this abundance of scriptures, just the first two days of scriptures and the abundance of scriptures today, and honestly believe that living the saved life and going to heaven is just about faithfully attending a, a scheduled uh, calendar of church activities and abiding by the do's and not doing the do-nots, and uh, paying my tithes, living a separated life, and obeying the pastor. Again, all of that is biblical. All of that is part of our expectation. But those things are not the definition of what Christianity is and is not. So it's possible to never miss a church service, obey every single syllable out of your pastor's mouth, pay tithes of mint, anise, and cumin, and be more separated uh, than any other person you know, and still not be living the New Testament Christian life. It's very possible to do that. And of course, that is uh disarming disheartening to some folks to hear that because that's what we've communicated with them and I've been attending a Pentecostal church ever since I was born not counting just born again but ever since I was born I was born on a Monday and the Lord my mother took me to church the first service my first weekend of life And, of course, today we would think that would be horrible, but it was really normal back then. And uh, so I've been a a part of the church, if you want to call it what we call what happens in a building on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday or Thursday night and whatever other activities, all of my life. But. We are facing a major crisis in this world. We've already been going through it for almost the entire year of 2020. When everybody came up with the catchy catchphrases, 2020 vision for 2020, uh, they never imagined that 2020 would be so totally out of the norm. And I wonder how many of us really had at the beginning of this year, a 2020 vision that fit and has fit so far what's happened in 2020. And Jesus was standing before Pilate, and Pilate asked him a question. And Jesus didn't respond, and Pilate said, don't you know I have the power to take your life or set you free? And I'm paraphrasing now. Jesus looked at him and said, You have no power over me at all, except it be given you from above. And I'm saying to you as a fellow believer, a brother and sister in Christ, that COVID has no power over any of any believer, except it be given by God. Permission given by God. Why would God allow all this? to get our attention and to draw a very straight line between churches that are just going through the motions of religion and churches that are seeking God. You know, without faith, Hebrews 11, 6, it is impossible to please God. He that cometh to God must believe that he is, but we don't stop there and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him, not seek for him, not seek from him, seek him. That is true Christianity. A life lived seeking him, not seeking from him, not seeking for him to do this and that, not, and to change this and that, and to not let this happen and give me this and, Take away that and whatever. No, no. True faith, true faith, faith that pleases God is involved in knowing God exists and seeking him. That's what we're doing. That's what we're supposed to be doing. And everything else is a byproduct of seeking him. Going to church or assembling together with believers or whatever you call it is, uh, is a product of seeking him. Paying my tithes is a product of seeking him. Living a separated life is a product of seeking him. Obeying the, uh, those that have the rule over us according to Hebrews 13 verses 7 and 17 is a product of seeking him. Praying without ceasing. Not just praying a little prayer time to get your obligation out of the way every day, which some do and consider that to be great spirituality just because they, they put in some, put in some time praying each day or reading a few scriptures of devotion. And we get that done and boy, we are spiritual today. Not trying to make fun of anybody. I'm just simply saying, where's that in the Bible? <laughs> As I taught in part one, the greatest commandment is, Here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with, King James says, all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. The Greek is literally, "Thou shalt love the Lord your God with the whole of your heart, the whole of your soul, the whole of your mind, the whole of your strength. Now that is way too extreme for most of Christianity. But the slight problem that most Christianity has is that that's the first and greatest commandment. And those that believe that we can go to heaven simply by confessing faith and doing nothing else have to believe that it's a, that it's possible to go to heaven while living in disobedience to God including in the most important obedience which is obeying the greatest commandment. So Jesus doesn't consider that commandment extreme. That's the problem. See, we may consider extreme. Some of us definitely consider that extreme, but the Lord doesn't. I wonder whose opinion of that is going to win in the end. I wonder which one of those, which one of those two opinions is going to be acceptable to God. Is he going to say, well, that, that's not really the way I saw it, but I, I, I understand that's the way you saw it. So I'm going to let you buy because that's the way you saw it. Really? <laughs> really? We really honestly expect that that's what the Lord's going to say when he emphasized the fact that was the greatest of all the commandments. First in priority? I don't think so. So, uh, today we're going, uh, the title of this series, of course, is Knowing Who We Are in God. This is part three. And uh, the subject today is uh, Our Place in God. Our Place in God. So, I'm going to start off in James chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. Every good gift, this is King James, and every perfect gift is from above. And cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. There are many different translations, and I... Because there are no divinely inspired translations. Including our beloved King James. Which I I don't know anybody who would go so far as to say the King James Version is divinely translated. The word of God is divinely inspired in its original languages. But there's no divinely inspired translation. So as much as I love the King James and I memorize the King James and I usually use the King James as my text or starting text in any teaching or ministry, uh, I compare it all the time with the many, many different translations that I have purchased uh, and have in this iPad right here. Uh, I think the last count was 42 different translations. It's, it's at least that many. Now, there's a couple of them I don't use much, even though I purchased them. I read through them, and, and they just were too far off. And, of course, there's some that aren't translations at all. They are paraphrases, even though they call themselves Bible, such as the Living Bible or the Message Bible. They are not translations. They are paraphrases. And if they are read in that context... That you don't take doctrine out of them and you don't count on your salvation of them. But you just read them for a different perspective even though it is not the word of God. It is man's opinion of what the word of God says or should have said. As long as you keep it in that context, they're not harmful. But if you begin to choose what they say over what translations say, it's problem. Two of my translations are actually uh, interlinear translations, uh, both King James and the New King James, where it has the Greek text in Greek letters and the Greek text in English tra- uh, tra- uh, transliterated letters, and then the word meaning of those words, and then the actual text of the King James that lets you compare all of that. And I I like to use that, and that also lets me use that and each one of those has the strong reference numbers for each one of those Greek words. So I can do a lot of study. And so can you, if you want to take the time to do so. Uh, so I'm reading uh, the easy to read version. That's actually the name of it. James chapter one, 17 and 18, everything good comes from God. Every perfect gift is from him. These good gifts come down from the father who made all the lights in the sky. But God never changes like the shadows from those lights. He is always the same. God decided to give us life through the true message he sent to us. He wanted us to be the most important of all that he created. And then the uh, Passion Translation reads this way. Every gift God freely gives us is good and perfect streaming down from the father of lights who shines from the heavens with no hidden shadow or darkness and is never subject to change. God was delighted to give us birth by the truth of his infallible word so that we would fulfill his chosen destiny for us and become the favorite ones out of all of his creation. Now I've looked at the Greek uh from strong's and Thayer's and vines and etc cetera, etc cetera, and others and uh and and the uh and the passion translation has got some real meat to it in compared to what the Lord is trying to say. Now the, the uh the King James is beautiful to read, but because it's sixteen eleven English sometimes it doesn't make a lot of sense to us today. <clears throat> I'm not denigrating it At all. I'm just simply saying it is a translation. In fact, it was translated by the Anglican Church, by Anglican scholars, as authorized by the Anglican King, who was the head of the Anglican Church. Just thought you might want to remember that. Okay? So, every good and perfect gift comes down from God. And in Him, there is no changing. He cannot change. It's impossible for God to change. And Malachi, I believe it is, the Lord said, I am the Lord, I change not. Hebrews chapter 13 and 8 says, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. Well, in this verse, it's saying the same thing. There, There are no shadows in him. There is no variableness in him. He says what he means. He means what he says. And that message of truth is what causes us or enabled us to be born again. And and I like I like what the Passion Translation says here. God was delighted to give us birth by the truth of his infallible word so that we would fulfill his chosen destiny for us. Now, a destiny is simply... The acknowledgement that we have a destination. And our destination is our destiny. But it's not just the destination that's a part of destiny. It is the journey or the, the, the process that God uses to get us to that destination. And in God and in our destiny, there are numerous parts to that destiny or destination. There's the destination at the end of the church age called the rapture and the things that must take place before the rapture. There's the destination of us being Kings and priests as a part of his, uh, is a uh, millennial kingdom on a th- for a thousand years on the earth. And then there's the destiny of his everlasting kingdom, his eternal kingdom that we will have a part in as we, uh, fulfill his destiny in us. Now, uh, tomorrow, or the day after, I can't remember. I think it's uh, maybe Friday. I, I'm going to go into some very specific word from God. It's very uh, shockingly suspe- uh, sp- specific, uh, that actually discusses this whole mind of God, will of God, counsel of God, destiny thing. That you and I have been chosen to be a part of. If that is our priority. When he said seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto us. He was trying to tell us what our destiny is. Both the destination and the process. He was trying to tell us the priorities that our life would have. And simply going to church. And having good church services and hearing good sermons is not the destiny. And it's not the destination. Those things may be portions or parts of the process. But they are not the definition and they're not the destiny. And we're going to get into that today. I'm going to give you an abundance of scriptures today. Not counting the abundance of scriptures the last two days and the abundance of scriptures that's coming the next three days, all to reveal that God has a destiny for us. And if we're going to please him, we're going to put that destiny and us fulfilling that destiny in and by and through him as the priority of our life. Amen. Now, God has an unlimited of supply of good gifts. Every good and perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights, in whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Well, He has a lot of good gifts. I'm reading to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning with verse 6. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor the princes of this world that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory. This wisdom pre-existed the universe, which none of the princes of the world, of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And of course, they didn't know it. And they did crucify the Lord of glory. And in doing so, they facilitated the fulfilling of the will and word of God. Whether they knew that's what they were doing or not, and of course they did not. Because it would have been completely counterproductive and undermining everything that the princes of this world stood for. And the prince of the power of the air that's behind the princes of this world. If they had known both what they were doing and what the outcome of it was. But of of course God kept them in ignorance. And gave them an opportunity to destroy uh, the Christ, Uh, and they thought that if they could destroy the Christ, that they would win. And in trying to win the ultimate, they lost the ultimate, and their seat, their fate is sealed forever because they lost at Calvary. So I'm reading further. Uh, Which none of this princes, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love Him. Period. Except it's not the end of the thought. It is a period in the Scripture in the King James, right there. The things that God which God hath prepared for them that love Him. They're beyond what we've seen. They're beyond what we've heard so far. They're beyond what's entered in our heart. They're beyond our comprehension. But they're all prepared. They've been prepared. They were prepared from before the foundation of the world. But the thought continues, verse 10. But God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. Well, hear me right now. I can't possibly uh, minister to you any deeper than my relationship with God is. If my hunger for the things of God is shallow, then everything I do and say will be shallow. But if I'm hungering for God and I am seeking God and I'm seeking the deep things of God, then I will have deep things that are able for him to use through me. They will be available. It is the will of God for those that know him and love him to seek the deep things of God. Well, guess what? I have his spirit. For God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit. For on this account or by this means, for the spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. So if I have, if I truly have the spirit of God in me and the spirit searcheth all things, the deep things of God, then it's the will of God by the spirit to reveal those deep things to me. And if I don't have them revealed to me, it's because I haven't wanted them revealed to me. But that's what this is about, isn't it? We're taking the time, and again, as I've said before, and I will say many, many times in the future, I am just a seed sower. That's all. That's why I cover so much ground in, in, in settings like this. Because I'm not trying to make one point and hammer that, sorry, and hammer that point home until you know that point backwards and forwards. No, because I'm not trying to simply share my understanding of a point with you. I am trying to be used of God as a conduit to sow seeds of rhema in your heart, mind, and soul and spirit, and that that seed of rhema will be cultivated by you in prayer and in, in in study of the word of God and that God will be able to cause that seed to grow in you and give you your own understanding of the deep things of God. I'm going to read uh, starting with verse 10 again through the end of the chapter because it's so good. <laughs> but God has revealed that, I mean, ah, why not? Let's read verse 9 again. I'll read all of it together if I can not comment. We'll see how that goes. But as it is written, I have not seen, neither has ear heard, nor ear heard, neither has entered, in, neither have entered into the heart of man, the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit. For the spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man, but the spirit of God. Now we have received, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Notice the might, not shall, might. Because it's conditioned upon us. He's not going to give me stuff I don't want. He's not going to give me stuff I'm not seeking for, searching for, digging for waiting on him for, spending time or investing time with him in his presence and in his word. So it's possible for you to get all these things, but it's not automatic. They are freely given to us of God if we're searching for them. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Notice he didn't say the sinful man. Because the natural man here includes both the saved and unsaved. You and I cannot get the deep things of God by our human intellect and human ability. Not going to happen. It's not going to happen. He's not going to let you or I take the credit for our knowledge and understanding and wisdom in the deep things of God. Every bit of that is given by impartation and revelation. But I've got to be seeking him to receive it. And seeking him is not having your face stuck in books by all the time by people that have written books about God. All they're doing is telling you what they know about God or think they know. Personally, I prefer to spend my time in the Word of God so I can get it directly from the source. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. So you tell me why or how all of our education is such an emphasis when so many of our religious educational institutions put very little real emphasis on spirituality. Well, let me tell you something right now, okay? Do this what you want to do with it. I'm not disrespecting anybody and the work they've put in in order to attain their degrees. But you can have degrees like a thermometer, excuse the trite old cliche, and I don't trust one of them if all of that knowledge you've got is head knowledge that none of it God gave you by the Spirit. I don't trust any of it. Why? Because I'm going to say this to you, just a little secret here. When the, when the Bible says, If the blind lead the blind, they'll both fall in the ditch. There is an implication there. That those who spend, who search the scriptures, who invest time in seeking the face of God, in fellowshipping with God, who are not praying just as a religious exercise or some kind of religious obligation, but are fellowshipping with the Lord and seeking His face and wanting to hear Him and in conversation with Him, which is always two-way, you see. And I ask him questions and he answers them and he answers them with the word. But when you do that, all, something begins to happen down inside. And when you hear somebody speak, it's, you're not trying to judge somebody, but you hear, you can hear the real, you can hear the spiritual and you can hear the natural. And somebody getting up and talking from their ears, their intellectual ability or their oratorical ability, they may be quoting scriptures and what they're saying about those scriptures may be true. But what the, how they're saying it and with the, 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 the place from which they're saying it doesn't ring true in here. It's very entertaining, isn't it? Oh, it's entertaining. But how do you know that's the case? Well, one of the most obvious is, We rarely can even repeat what they said before we can get out of the parking lot of a church service. Or by the time we click the stream off, what they said is they're out of sight and what they said is out of mind because it's natural. It's natural. It's not spiritual, but spiritual stuff that comes from God is planted deeply and you'll hear, you'll find yourself Hearing or thinking about and almost hearing it said over again. What somebody said that was said to you spiritually. It doesn't go away. You may not be able to quote all of it, but it doesn't go away. Does it go away? It stays. It abides. And it constantly strengthens and encourages or it constantly challenges and convicts but it doesn't go away. And that's the goal for those that love God and who are called according to his purpose. The goal is to be a conduit for him to speak, for him to teach, for him to minister, for him to pray through us, for him to do it, to just be a conduit for him to do that in Jesus name. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. You don't get that the mind of Christ out of a book that man wrote. You might get, there may be some edification there. There may be some instruction. There may be even some seeds sown that you have to go and take and cultivate to see it grow and produce something in you. It's possible that somebody received a rhema and wrote a rhema. The Lord said to me a couple of years ago, I wrote books before there were ever videos or live streaming or any kind of recording device. I wrote books. And so I believe books can be written and that they are, they are Rhema. They're written down as Rhema and we receive it as Rhema. However, all Rhema must be embraced. It must be watered. It must be cultivated. It must grow in us until it becomes ours. Okay. Now, again, the subject here is, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither is entered the heart of man the things that God hath prepared for them that love him, but God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. We're going to talk about some of these things that God has prepared. The first thing, the most obvious thing that God has given to us, that was prepared from before the foundation of the world. John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his only begotten son. And here's the condition. The Son's not given to everybody if the Son is offered to everybody. The death of Christ on the cross is offered to everybody, but it doesn't affect everybody. Here's the condition whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. In John seven thirty eight, Jesus defined believing as believe he that believeth on me as the Scripture hath said. So even that word believe cannot be defined or interpreted by you or me or by my church organization or denomination or what, or this group that I'm a part of. I, the The word believe there can only be defined biblically if you're going to, in fact, believe. How about this one? Still speaking of Christ as the gift. Second Corinthians chapter 5 verses 14 and 15. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge, that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves by their own way, by their own opinions, by their own life, by their own will, but unto him which died for them and rose again. The love of Christ constrains us to lay down our life, to lay down our will so that we can do his will and he can live his life through us. So he gives us the gift, but it's not over when you receive the gift of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's only just beginning because it is impossible Uh, to, to receive this gift. And the scripture says, thanks be unto God for this unspeakable or indescribable gift. But that gift automatically working in us, compels or constrains us to give ourselves to God without reservation. Now what happens if someone has received... Uh, that believes in the Lord Jesus Christ according to the word of God, and they've received the new birth, but then they live their own life rather than be allow themselves to be compelled by the love of God to not live for themselves, but to live as a conduit for the Lord living through them. What happens? What do you think happens? Huh. Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciple indeed. Okay? And then finally, uh, on this point, Romans 8 31-32. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? You say, well, there's a lot of people against us. No, no, you're missing the point. If God is for us, It doesn't matter who's against us if God's for us. The whole world can be against us if God's for us. We win. The world can't defeat God. (laughs) We read the back of the book. He wins and everybody on his team wins. Now, he is so kind and loving, he wants everybody on his team. Those that aren't on his team uh, that have had a choice have chosen not to be on his team. That's their choice. And the consequences of that choice is theirs also. Those that don't know about it yet are the responsibility of the church to get the message to them because he commanded us, commanded us to go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. That's command. Can the disobedience obedient be saved that's the point isn't it what shall we then say to these things if God be for us who can be against us listen he that spared not his own son but delivered him up for us all to die in our place how shall he not with him also freely give us all things there's that word freely again. We go back into Second Corinthians chapter two uh, or first Corinthians chapter two uh, verse twelve Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things or know about the things, know of the things that are freely given to us of God. So here we are again. What shall we say what shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared. He didn't, uh, when he didn't spare the man Christ Jesus, the only begotten son, the one born of a woman, when he didn't spare the son of man, the son of God, and he gave that body, that life, that blood for us in our place, there is absolutely nothing. That he won't give us for his glory, for his kingdom's sake. Now, he didn't just promise us everybody's going to have a Maybach or at least a Mercedes. And everybody's going to live in a 10,000 square foot house. And everybody's going to have a private jet. And everybody's going to have unlimited money. That is not what he's talking about here. He's talking about the kingdom of God. And if you read these verses, Romans 8, verses 31, 32, in the context of Romans, first of all, specifically in the context of Romans 8, you'll find he's talking about the kingdom of God, the things of God, the destiny of the church. That's what he's talking about. So just how far has he already gone, even if we don't know how far he's gone? Because it is the spirit that, that is given to us to make us known, make us know what is, what are those things that are freely given to us of God. How about this? This one, I got to be honest with you. It just, it's so far beyond my mind. I can't, I, I I've just got, I just got my fingernails in it. I don't even have a grip on it. I, I, I've just, I, I, I Pray about it, study it. I'm just trying to get a hold of it. I, I'm trusting the Spirit of God to put this in my grip. Not so I can own it, but so I can be used of it uh, and, and understand exactly what he's trying to do in by and through me, in by and through you, in by and through the church. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4, 5, 6, and 7. But God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together in with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. What does that mean? <laughs> well, if you go back to Ephesians one, the scripture tells us that in demonstrating the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe he demonstrated it by resurrecting Christ from the dead and then placing him on the throne of the universe it says at the right hand of god that is a figure of speech everywhere it's used in the bible concerning god and us in relationship with god some say no no he's sitting on the right hand of god then god is sitting on david's right hand because david said in psalms the lord is on at my right hand i shall never be moved so if it's literal one place it's literal in the other place if it's figurative one place then it's figurative the other place So if Christ is sitting at the right hand of God, then and Christ and God are separate, uh, then they're both sitting at the right hand of David. You can't have it both ways. It's either figurative language or it's literal language. So that makes David superior to God and Christ. Because God is sitting at the right hand of David, and Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Well, I don't, you, uh, I, I, you can hear you now. I don't believe that. Well, then the only way you cannot believe it is acknowledge that the terminology right hand is in reference to the power and authority of God manifested in by and through us. So that means that's why there's only one throne in heaven and only one sitting on the throne that you and I can see. And that, that is the one who is now the conduit for the, uh, the power, the authority of God Forever. He's the only visible representation of the invisible God forever. Colossians 1.15. Well, that's that point. But the next point is this. He's made us sit together. Made us is past tense. He hath raised us up together and made us. So in that context there together... Both both verbs are past tense. It's an accomplished fact. (laughs) He has already made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus with him right now in the spirit. We're there. Well, I don't feel like I'm there. Well, no, you're not supposed to feel like you're there. I don't. I'm not supposed to feel like I'm there. But what I'm supposed to know is all of the power and the authority of heaven is available to flow through you and I and the church corporately as a conduit in this earth to accomplish the will of God in the earth, to see the kingdom of God come in demonstration of the earth and see the name of Jesus Spoken in authority so that every knee in heaven, earth, and under the earth has to bow to that name. And that so souls can be delivered from the power of darkness, from the, from the, from the blindness that's upon their hearts and minds, so that they can be saved. That's our calling. That's our place in Him. It's not just to be a witness. It's not just to see people saved or just to tell them the gospel, but it's the will of God for us to pray with authority before we ever talk to them so that they are prayer conditioned to be able to receive. No farmer goes out and sows seed on unplowed ground. Who in the world ever heard such a thing? Might as well sow seed on concrete yeah and every once in a while there's a crack in the concrete and a seed one seed here or there finds its way into the crack the seed wants to grow so badly that it'll find its way in a crack in concrete and it'll grow up yeah but that's not the will of God the purpose of prayer the purpose of spiritual warfare is to plow the ground to get it ready for the seed so the seed can be received and can germinate and grow up and produce fruit unto the Lord. We do too much witnessing, too much Bible study teaching, too many small groups, too much teaching and preaching, live stream or pulpit or however we, 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 you want to talk about it. Uh, sowing seed on ground that has not been prepared for the seed. Jesus' name. How about this one? <clears throat> huh. We've already we've already been made to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his power, of his grace, and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. But how about this one? The Lord has already blessed us with all spiritual blessings. Wait a minute. I have not seen, ears not heard, neither is the heart of men thinks God has prepared for them that love him, but God has revealed them unto us by his spirit. If we're seeking the things of the word of God and the spirit of God. Ephesians chapter one, verse three, blessed be the God and father of our Lord, Jesus Christ, who hath blessed past tense, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. How can that be because he's now the head of the body and the body has a direct connection with him. And because of the connection of the body with the head that's sitting on the throne of the universe, everything that is God and everything that is in God is available to us from the head to the body. Every bit of it. It's there waiting on us to put our life, to put God and his kingdom as the priority of our lives. To submit ourselves to him. To seek him. To put his, his kingdom. His purpose. And our destiny in him. Ahead of everything else in this life. Set your affections on things above. And not on things on the earth. For you're dead. And your life is hid with Christ and God. Why? Why all that? So that we can receive that. I'm going to read the first four, or the four four verses there from the first part of Ephesians 1, beginning with verse 3, just for context. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us, hath blessed us, past tense, with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, colon, colon means the sentence and thoughts not over with, that what's following the colon explains what precedes the colon, and what follows the colon is three three phrases long, three verses long. Three those the next three verses all make up what the rest of the sentence and the explanation of what verse three means. So verse four says According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love <clears throat> having predestinated or foreordained us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved <sighs> he has so much for us his love his righteousness His grace, his mercy, his peace, his hope, his joy, his authority, his power, his name, his kingdom, his will, his word, his blood, and on and on. All of these things are ours. They're all ours. They're ours. 1 Peter 3 verse 8 says, finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. Pitiful doesn't mean be sorry, sad. It means be full of pity. Having compassion one of another as love as brethren, be pitiful or full of pity. Be courteous, not rendering evil for evil evil or railing for railing, but contrary wise, blessing. Knowing that ye are there unto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good and let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. <laughs> it would be awesome to be able to teach all that, but that's not the will of God. And so I'm going to go on. Verse nine, I'm reading to you again the last phrase. I'll read the whole verse, but I'm emphasizing the last phrase. Not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrary wise, blessing, knowing that ye are called, ye are thereunto called that ye should inherit a blessing. Ah, so we are inheritors or heirs of blessing. Galatians chapter 3, beginning with verse 26. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, nor there is either bond or free. There is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ. And if ye be Christ's, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise? So we are heirs, knowing that we are called to inherit a blessing. And Galatians three twenty six says that that is First uh, Peter chapter three verse nine, but uh, Galatians three twenty six through twenty nine says. That we're children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. We've been baptized into Christ. And therefore, we're all one in Christ. And if we be, if we be Christ's, then are we Abraham's seed? And if we're Abraham's seed, we're heirs according to the promise. What promise? Abraham's promise. Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1. Now the Lord hath said unto Abram, "Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make thee make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. I will bless them that bless thee and curse them that curseth thee and in thee." shall all families of the earth be blessed. Now, I submit to you, that has not happened yet. Well, how do you know that? Well, hang on. You'll see right in the scripture itself that that hasn't happened yet. Well, that was the first time God gave blessing to Abraham, but the first time he was called Abram. Genesis 22, after he had offered Isaac, as far as God was concerned, he offered Isaac. Uh, and you'll see that. Uh, Genesis 22 verse 15 says this, and the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham. He was Abram in Genesis 12.1. He is Abraham in Genesis 22.15. The angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time. So this is the, this is the confirmation of the blessing. Uh, uh, to Abraham the promises made to Abraham and it is an expansion of those promises angel of the Lord called on Abraham, Abraham out of heaven the second time and said by myself have I sworn saith the Lord for because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld thy son thine only son so even though he didn't kill Isaac he was fully prepared to do so and God gave him credit as if he did and he said, now that I, now I know you're not going to hold, withhold your most prized possession from me, your only son, that in blessing, I will bless thee. And in multiplying, I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven, spiritual seed, and as the sand which is upon the seashore, natural or earthly seed, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies, that was promised to Abraham. I'm an heir of Abraham. I said, I'm an heir of Abraham. Galatians three twenty nine. And if ye be Christ's, I was baptized into Christ. I've been baptized I've had the Spirit of Christ baptized into me. So I'm a part of the body of Christ. And if ye be Christ's, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And so he says in Genesis twenty-two, seventeen, that in blessing, I will bless thee. And notice he said, verse 16, by myself have I sworn. <clears throat> God swore, because, according to Hebrews 6, because he can swear by no greater, he swore by himself. God swore by his own deity and said, if I don't do the things I'm about to promise, I'm no longer God. That oath took this beyond the, the realm of just a promise. It's an oath that God has sworn to. He has sworn against his own deity to produce this, to do this. And if you and I don't believe what he says, well, I don't really believe that's going to happen, then you no longer, but you don't believe in Abraham. And you don't believe in Abraham's God. I'm sorry. It's just that direct. I don't have a right to not believe what God swore to. He He swore to man? Why would God, man, these little speck, tiny pieces of dust on this tiny little rock in his vast universe, the creator God of heaven and earth actually went so far as to swear an oath to us that what he said he would do, he would do? That in blessing I will bless thee. Multiplying I will multiply. Thy seed as the stars of the heaven. And as the sand which is upon the seashore. And thy seed shall possess. The gate of his enemies. Kind of sounds like. Upon this rock I'll build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Notice. That it's not us. Behind walls and gates. Protected. Being protected. It is the enemy's gates not being able to withstand the attack so that we defeat the enemy and possess his gates. And in thy seed uh, shall all nations of the earth be blessed because thou hast obeyed my voice. So there it is. But now, (laughs) now, I'm going to read to you in Galatians 3, many verses ahead of the verses I started this section with. Galatians 3, verse 5. He therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit, and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith. Even as Abraham believed God, Abraham didn't believe in God. He believed God. Too many people just believe in God, or say they do. But Abraham believed God. What did he believe? He believed those promises I just read to you. Even as Abraham believed God and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. You say, I don't agree with that. Well, then you argue with the scripture because the scripture is going to stay that. You ready? Know that ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. I am a child of Abraham by faith. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. Now that quote right there is a combination of those two promises. Showing that they are joined. Because if you read literally what they say in Genesis 12, the Lord said, In thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. And in Genesis 22, he said, in thy seed shall all nations of the earth be blessed. But the Holy Ghost here, speaking through Paul, just combines all of that as one promise, the whole entity of it. And he called it the gospel. Well, (laughs) this writer, Paul, is also the writer of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And there, Paul said, the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But notice he said, uh, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham. In other words, the gospel was preached to Abraham before it was preached to anybody else. How do you know that? Well, first of all, I know that his son didn't die that God gave a substitutionary sacrifice, a ram caught in the thicket that Abraham crucified or killed, sacrificed in the place of Isaac. But (laughs) that's not all. When he identified the gospel that he preached as the promises, in thee shall all nations be blessed, what he did was, he called the end before the beginning, those things that are not as though they were, and he told the outcome of the gospel before we ever knew what the elements of the gospel were. First Corinthians 15 tells us the elements of the gospel of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if I'm going to obey the gospel, I've got to obey those elements of the gospel. If I believe the gospel, I have to obey the gospel. And the word "obey" coupled with "gospel" is in the scriptures several times. One of the most notable is in Second Thessalonians chapter one. We got to obey the gospel. Obeying the gospel is not just believing the gospel; it's allowing the gospel to be applied to our lives. Well, if that is the process of the gospel, what gospel was preached unto Abraham? The end of the gospel. He told the it was the gospel but he preached to Abraham the results of the gospel before the process of the gospel was ever revealed. Now, we're not done yet. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. So whatever the promise was that God gave to Abraham that's being referred to here isn't a promised land. I've never been to Israel, not looking to go to the promised land. Uh, thank God for the promised land. For Abra- for Abraham his portion of the promise was Isaac. <clears throat> for Israel their portion of the promise was the promised land. but notice what the, what the, uh, the scripture was foreseeing didn't have anything to directly do with Israel. verse 8 and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. And so verse 7 says, uh, Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. Verse 9 says, So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. And what faith are we talking about here? The faith of Abraham. He believed God's promises. That's the faith that's being talked about here. Verse 10, for as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, curse that is everyone that continueth, not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident for the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, curse is everyone that hangeth on the tree, that for this purpose, on this account, For this cause, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Jesus talked about the promise of the Father in the first few verses of Acts 1 before his ascension. In Luke 24 he talked about the promise of the father. The promise of the father is in several different places in the scripture. And after the day after the outpouring of the day of Pentecost, Peter preached and they said, men and brother, what shall we do? And, uh, Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off. And the terminology afar of off was always a reference to Gentiles from the perspective of Jews to all that are far off, even to as many as the Lord our God shall call. Well, Paul who is the apostle of the Gentiles, magnifying his office, as he said in one place, says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on the tree, on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So I'm going to read again, verses 6 through 9, and then verse 14. Even as Abraham believed God, it was accounted unto him for righteousness. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen, the Gentiles, through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, in thee shall all nations be blessed. That the blessed... uh, So then that they, so then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. My friend, there is no greater promise made to the church collectively and to us as members in particular than the promise of Abraham. He promised, God promised, that the blessing of Abraham was going to come upon every family on earth. And the blessing of Abraham was going to come upon every nation on earth. Now, I thank God for every person that's received the baptism of the Holy Ghost in the last 120 plus years. I thank God for that. But As great as all of that may be from our perspective, there is not any of that that remotely comes close to an outpouring of the Holy Ghost upon every nation to the extent that someone in every family on earth will receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost as a witness to every family and a witness to every nation before God pours out his wrath upon this earth, giving every family and every nation an opportunity to be saved before the rapture. Now, I'm going to keep reading. <laughs> That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak after the manner of men, though it be but a man's covenant. Yet if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth or added thereto. So even a man's covenant that is that is verified or confirmed with an oath, nobody does away to, with it and nobody adds to it or takes away from it. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and the seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. And this I say, that the covenant was, was confirmed before God, before of God in Christ. The law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it might it should make the promise of none effect. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more a promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. Wherefore then serveth the law. It was added because of transgressions. Till the seed shall come. The seed, singular, Christ, should come to whom the promise was made. And it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if then... If there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the scripture has, has, the scripture hath concluded all under sin that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. And because nobody's ever been able to keep the law and be saved by keeping the law, God has another plan, and that is to be saved by faith. And that now, that now makes all of the world eligible to be saved, not just the Jews. <sighs> but the Scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe, whether Jew or Gentile. He would justify the heathen by faith, and that he would give the uh, that the blessing might, of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, the seed. Jesus Christ is the seed. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin, verse 22, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were under, we were kept under the law, shut up under the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we're no longer under the schoolmaster. Here it is. We've already read these. Ye, for ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ. And if ye be Christ's, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise." You and I are heirs of the outpouring of the Holy Ghost promised to Abraham that has never happened in the proportions that God swore to Abraham it would happen. We're the heirs. We're the heirs of that promise. But today we're not just the heirs of that promise. Like Abraham, we're the conduits of that promise. We're children of Abraham, like Abraham and his seed, Christ Jesus. We, the body of Christ today, the church of the living God collectively, the children of God individually are the both the heirs of that promise and the conduit of that promise to be believed on by us and the conduits for it to come into the world. And no church that is just having good church services, and that's all they do, And preaching good sermons and teaching good lessons. And sending everybody home having fulfilled their obligation. Is walking in the faith of Abraham. Is all that important? Yes. But it does not fulfill. Faith. The faith of Abraham. Because the faith of Abraham is fulfilled. By going to all the world and preaching the gospel to every creature. And that's not just for preachers. Because we all have the Spirit of God. We're all in the priesthood. And all believers are in the ministry. And we've used that term to be just people who stand in pulpits. But the ministry, according to the Word of God, is every Holy Ghost-filled person. If you freely you've received, you and I are required to freely give. We've freely received it. But we've got to freely give it. And we're heirs of the pr- privilege to be the conduits for the Abraham's promise, the blessing that was promised in Abraham's promise to come on the whole world. And if Abraham's promise is the Gentiles, uh, I'll read again, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, or Jesus Christ, that we might receive the Spirit, the promise of the Spirit through faith. If that is the promise and it's to the gentiles primarily and the time of the gentiles is fulfilled at the rapture then all of this has got to happen before the rapture now you want to see how firm this is paul's talking about this very thing in Hebrews 6 when he said beginning with verse 7 For the earth drinketh in the rain that cometh off upon it and bringeth forth herbs, meat for them by whom it is dressed, receiveth blessing from God. But that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected and is nigh unto cursing, whose end is to be burned. But beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that are accompany salvation, though thus we, though we thus speak. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name, and that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end, that that ye be not slothful, but followers of them, who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swear by himself, saying, Surely blessing, I will bless thee and in multiplying, I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise or his portion of the promise. For men verily swear by the greater and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife or contention or debate. Well, I don't believe what you've just been talking about. Then you don't believe the oath. The oath ends debate. The end is the confirmation. The oath is the, is the, is the confirmation that ends all debate. Wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of the promise the immutability of his counsel, the impossibility of his counsel not coming to pass, just like he said it, he confirmed it with an oath. Swore He swore against his own deity, if I don't do this, I'm not God. So you go right ahead and go with the first Christ that comes along. But if that Christ doesn't fulfill the oath God made to Abraham, he is anti-Christ, and I'm not following him. For God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise, the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable or unchangeable things in which it was impossible for God to lie. We might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast and which entereth into that within the veil whether the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. These things have been guaranteed to us. Near the end of the Bible, Revelation 21 verses six and seven, the Bible says this. And he said unto me, it is done. I am alpha and omega. Who is that? Lord Jesus Christ. The beginning and the end. Who is that? Lord Jesus Christ. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. And I will be his God. And he shall be my son. There we are again talking about the sons of God. But what is it that we stand to inherit? Romans chapter 4 verse 1. What shall we then, shall we, what? this is Romans, not Galatians. What shall we say then that Abraham our father is pertaining to the flesh hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted or accredited unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is a reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not. But believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for, right, uh, for righteousness. Even as David uh, David also describeth the blessedness of the man, unto whom God imputeth not imputeth ra- ra- righteousness without works. Saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven, and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Cometh this blessedness then upon the circumcision only, or upon the uncircumcision also? For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. How was it then reckoned? When he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. He received these promises before he was circumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had yet being uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also. And the father of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham, which he had yet being uncircumcised for the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if we, for if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of none effect, because the law worketh wrath. For where no law is, there is no transgression. Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace, to the end the promise might be sure to all the seed, not the, just the natural seed, but the stars of the heavens seed. You and most of you and I watching this not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. Before him whom he believed, even God, with who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were, he preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all the nations be blessed, and the blessing of Abraham Uh, It's going to come on the Gentiles by Jesus Christ, which is receiving the promise of the Spirit through faith. As it is written, I have made thee the Father of many nations, before whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead, and calleth those things which be not as though they were, who against hope believed in hope, that he might become the Father of many nations, according to that which was spoken. So shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. He was strong, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able to perform. And therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now it was written, not written for his sake alone. That it, it was imputed to him. But for us also, to whom it shall, to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. I believe the promise of God to Abraham. I believe the blessing of Abraham is going to come on the earth. And I know how impossible it looks to the eye. But Abraham is the father of believers who against hope believed in hope. He believed in what seemed to be totally impossible. A 99-year-old man begetting a child, an a, 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 a 89-year-old woman conceiving a child so that that child is born when Abraham is 100 and Sarah's 90. When he was dead and her womb was dead. Impossible. And yet, God did it. And I know it looks impossible in this world that God could pour out his spirit upon every family, at least one person in every family on earth, and upon every nation, a mighty New Testament book of Acts outpouring that would gra- grab the attention of the entire nation. I know that looks impossible, but I believe. I believe. I believe it. I believe it. I believe it with everything in me. I have lived for this day. I've been believing this a long time. I've lived for this day. I've lived for this time. Because we are now in the beginning of God fulfilling his promise. We're in the beginning of it. And we have, we've been coming against the gates of hell. All around this world. And we're going to continue to come against the gates of, this, of hell. And there are going to be corporate efforts led by others. And there's going to be one that God has called me to lead. And we're going to come against those gates. And we're going to do it in a focused fashion. Next week. Next week. And we're going to believe God is going to give us victory over the gates of hell. And we're going to keep on pressing and pursuing the enemy after that until every possible soul is free enough to be able to make a decision for themselves whether or not they want to be saved before the rapture. And they face the most horrible time of wrath that man has ever known. We are the heirs of God right now. Galatians 4 I'm continuing on where I was reading earlier in Galatians at the end of Galatians three Galatians four, verse one. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, different, nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Even so we, when we were children were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law to redeem them that were under the law, that we might, Receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God had sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Yesterday, in part two, we read those verses. We read those verses. Uh-huh. where Christ spent 30 years in anonymity. Learning. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience through the things which he suffered. Paul is right here giving us another perspective of that very thing for him and for the church. Yes, the the world doesn't know who the church really is. We have lived in anonymity. While God has Trained us and taught us and matured us. But even as Christ had a point where he came out of the carpentership, came out of anonymity and in the manifestation at the end of the Old Testament. The body of Christ has gone through all of these things to learn and to grow and to be trained by our tutors and governors. But now we're we're coming out. We're coming out. We're coming out. Be God's, to do God's will, to fulfill God's word. We're coming out in manifestation. <clears throat> How do I know that? Because listen to what the Word of God says. Even now, the Father is sending forth His heirs into the world. We are heirs right now. Galatians 4 7, wherefore thou art no more a servant but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. We are heirs right now. And even right now, the father is sending forth his heirs to take the promise to the world. I read to you, John chapter 20, verse nine, beginning with verse 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you peace be unto you. And when he had said, had said, so said, he showed unto them his hands at his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord, then said Jesus to them again, peace be unto you as my father hath sent me. Even so send I you. What were the priorities of the Christ, the son of God on earth? during his 33 plus years or so living on earth, what was his priority? What was his priority? in those last three plus years after his baptism, when he came into manifestation, what was his priority? How did he live? What was his focus? And he says, as my father, had sent me even so send i you and when he had said this he breathed on them and saith unto them receive ye the holy ghost now according to john seven thirty nine, the holy ghost was not yet given because jesus wasn't yet glorified and he still wasn't glorified here after these things he ascends into heaven and he sends back the holy ghost John the Baptist said that Jesus, the Christ, would be the Holy Ghost baptizer. So, as my Father hath sent me, I'm sending you exactly the same. Are you fulfilling being sent to the world like Christ was sent to the world? John 17, verses 13 through 18. Jesus is praying, now come out of thee, these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that they that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth, as thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. That doesn't sound like having church services as the end all to be all that we haven't been able to do this year 2020 very well at all. doesn't sound like that, does it? He didn't just send us one day a week or two days a week. He sent us into the world 24-7. John 13, 18-20, he says, And I speak not of you all, I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it come, that when it come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that receiveth he that receiveth whomsoever I send receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. that's very similar to matthew ten forty He that receiveth you receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me, but in John thirteen twenty he adds a little something there. He that receiveth whomsoever I send receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. So if I go out and preach the gospel as the Lord's conduit for the Lord the, of the Spirit of the Word of God, and people receive me, that opens the door for them to receive Him. If they reject me, it means they're rejecting him. That means in the great white throne judgment, when they say it's not fair, we didn't have a chance, if they dare do that, the Lord will just play them the video, if so to speak, of every time he sent somebody to them and they didn't obey. It's like the story of the guy that was on the roof of his house that was in the middle of a flood and he was praying for God to rescue him and a helicopter came by and he rejected the helicopter and, uh, said, no, God's going to rescue me. Then someone came by in a motorboat and said, said, come on, get in. He said, no, God's going to rescue me. And then somebody came by in a canoe, said, come on, come on. Your your chances are almost over with. Come on. And he said, no, God's going to rescue me. But then he drowned. And the story goes, when he gets to heaven, he said, God, I don't understand. I prayed for you to rescue me. He said, I sent you a helicopter. I sent you a speedboat or motorboat. And I spent you sent you a canoe. And you rejected all of them. And you and I are God's helicopter to the lost. You and I are God's motorboat to the lost. You and I may only be God's canoe to a lost. But he sends us an answer to prayers, to the sighing of the prisoners. But if they don't receive us, it's not us they're rejecting. It's him they're rejecting. Why? John 4 verse 12 No man has seen God at any time. If we love, if if we love one another, God dwelleth in us. This is verse twelve of John, first John four, and His love is perfected in us. Hereby we know that we dwell in Him, and He in us, because He hath given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Where where does our boldness come from? Because as he is, not was, not will be, as he is, so are, not was, not will be, so are we in this world. I have the Spirit of God in me. That's what it says here. Hereby we know that we dwell in him and he in us because he hath given us of his Spirit. That's the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I have his Spirit. Romans five five. And hope make it not a shame, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. And who is it that gives the Holy Ghost? Jesus. Read Acts 2, says it very specifically. Who poured out the Holy Ghost? Well, if I have the Spirit of God, Peter says that makes me a partaker of the divine nature. When I yield myself to him and his will for his kingdom's sake, for his purposes, according to his plan, that he might fulfill his word and his oath. I go, I may look at me as a human being. I may feel weak and frail and powerless, but God's not powerless and he's in you and he sent you and they're going to be judged by whether or not they believed you or didn't believe you. Oh, some don't want to hear that. Well, I got a question. So we believe people are supposed to believe the preacher on a platform behind a piece of furniture, which you can't find either one of those in the Bible. And I'm not fussing with that, but that's not some super holy place. We've made it something else. Now it's a stage. With lights and smoke and all that. So much for the holy place of the platform. I'm not trying to make fun. I'm just simply saying it was never holy in the first place. Because the holy place is wherever the body of Christ goes. And the work of the Holy Ghost is when anybody in the any part of the body of Christ opens their mouth to speak what the Spirit of God wants to speak to whomever he speaks it to. Now, there are those that are gifted by God and given the authority to lead the entire body. But the entire body is a part of the ministry and are conduits of the Spirit of God to the lost of this world. Now, we are called to do what Christ did. What he did at the end of the Old Covenant, we're called to do at the end of the New. John 14, verse 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also. And from henceforth ye know him and have seen him. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth or satisfies us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you? And yet thou hast not known me, Philip. He that has seen me has seen the Father. And how sayest thou? Then show us the Father. Believest thou not that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Notice he didn't say the Father dwelleth in me, he speaketh the words. Why? Because if the Father speak in the words through me, those words are going to produce the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, the Father in me, or else believe me for the very works sake. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, The works that I do shall ye do also. How? Because I will speak the words of the Father, and the the words of the Father will produce the works of the Father. And greater works than these shall shall he do, because I go unto my Father. We have a commission right here. Paul talked about the fully preached gospel in Romans 15. And the fully preached gospel is the, is the word that is confirmed miraculously. And John, uh, Mark 16, 20 says, and they went everywhere and preached. And the Lord went with them, worked with them, and confirmed the word with signs following. That's what we have the right to not just expect, but it should be the common thing for every part of the body of Christ. You don't, you don't need to call the preacher to come pray. These signs shall follow them that believe. Number five, they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Why? So the word of God can be confirmed. Because we are sons of God. We have the spirit of God in us. We are heirs of Abraham's promise. We are heirs of God. Join heirs with Christ. We've been called to do this work of God. And we've been empowered to do it. If we have Abraham's faith, meaning we believe God's promise that he not only gave by promise, but swore to with an oath, then we're going to go forth throughout this world. We're going to obey God. The Father's going to give us the words. We're going to speak the words. And the Father's going to cause the words to produce the works that will confirm the word of the gospel that we preach unto the lost. And there's going to be so many people saved that to try to put a number or percentage on it is, I don't want to do it because I don't want to limit God, even in my own faith. I don't want to do it. Now, we know not everybody's going to be saved, but that's not a cop-out. Everybody has a right to at least know they need to be saved, whether they hate you for it or not. I don't want to stand at the great white throne and watch somebody condemned to hell that I know I crossed paths with them and I preserved my own pride by keeping my mouth shut, or I was too busy to speak to them because it would interrupt my day. I got stuff I got to do, right? Letting a soul go to hell because I'm not going to be the conduit of the father. That's not very important, is it? That's called sarcasm. I'm trying to make a point. And yet humanity does it all the time. Members of the body of Christ, sons of God, children of God do it all the time. So busy doing our thing and not seeking the kingdom of God and putting it first. That we let all kind of things in this temporal life that are all going to pass away. Get in the way of us being a conduit. To give eternal souls a chance to not go to hell forever. Some of the heaviest words in the Bible, some of the most weighty words in the Bible, some of the most challenging words in the Bible, as I close this particular part of this series of lessons, is Second Corinthians chapter five, beginning with verse 14. I've already read the first two verses, but I'm reading them again. For the love of Christ constraineth us. The Greek word there is compels us or literally arrests us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. In other words, our whole focus and attention and life should be arrested by this fact that if he died in our place and everybody was dead and because he died in our place because he loves us then those of us who are alive because he died in our place should then be compelled and that he died for all verse 15 we should be compelled that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves by their own wills, by their own desires, by their own plans, according to their own ambitions, according to their own dreams and goals. That they which live should not, because we that are living were once dead, but we became alive because he died in our place. So, the life died in our place, those that were dead. The life dying for us enabled us to be alive. Now those of us alive are not supposed to live that life for our own purposes. We're supposed to live that life for his purposes, which means that we need to die out to ourself so that his life can be lived through us Without hindrance to his plan and purposes. Verse 16, Wherefore henceforth know we no man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. How do you get to be a new creature? You stop living for yourself with this life he's given you. How do we do that? Galatians 2:20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but it's not me living. It's Christ living in me and the life that I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the son of God or the son of God's faith. I become a conduit for his life and his faith. That's what makes me a new creature. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Love not the world. Neither things are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but of the world. The world shall pass away. And the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God. Abideth forever. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away, behold, all things become new. Well, what is the will of God? And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us, us, every saved person, the ministry of reconciliation, taking those that are estranged from God by sins and iniquities and showing them the path and assisting them. We don't save them, but we assist them in helping to understand, preaching the gospel to them and for them to be reconciled to God. To wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them and hath committed unto us The word of reconciliation. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation, which is what? Speaking the word of reconciliation as the Father empowers us so that the lost can be reconciled to God. They were dead. Now they're alive. They were estranged from God. Now they're in fellowship with him. Now then, we are ambassadors For Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, and the Greek there is in Christ's place, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Now, this is what the average person who just wants to go to heaven and pay their dues, fulfill their obligations so that somewhere, how they can appease an angry God so that they don't go to hell, does not want to hear. They don't want to hear this. We've been given the, we're not supposed to live this life our way. We were dead by his death. We're alive. And we're not supposed to live that life for ourselves. And we're new creatures because all that deadness is supposed to be passed away and all things are supposed to be new and all things are of God and he has, co- he hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given by commitment. He's committed unto us. He's given unto us. He's imparted unto us the ministry of reconciliation. Well, that was Christ's ministry, but Christ isn't physically here anymore. In fact, Christ is now the head of the body of Christ, sitting on the throne of the universe in heaven. Now, the body of Christ on earth has the ministry of reconciliation, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not putting their trespasses unto us, unto them, and hath committed unto us The body of Christ, whose head is sitting on the throne of the universe, hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. So we have the ministry of reconciliation. We have the word of reconciliation. Now we have the responsibility of reconciliation because we are ambassadors for Christ. We are his representatives with his authority and his power to act, And speak in his name, in the name of the kingdom of God. As the representatives of the kingdom of God to this earth. Because God is now beseeching the lost through us. And as the body of Christ, we pray you in the stead Of the head of the body which is sitting on the throne. But is connected through the body and working through the body in the earth. Saying be ye reconciled unto God. That's who you are. That's who I am. That's who the body of Christ is. That's what we're supposed to be doing. That is supposed to be our number one priority over and above Everything. Everything. That's our priority. Now, I don't want COVID. I don't want you to get COVID. I don't want my wife to have COVID. I don't want my kids, my friends to have COVID. My grandkids. I don't want the church to get COVID. I don't want anybody to get COVID. <clears throat> but if COVID becomes the excuse where I hide from my calling in God, because I cannot trust him to keep me safe to do his will. Then there's a problem. I've flown several times recently uh, to minister and, uh, I wear my mask in the airport. I wear my mask on the plane. I wear my mask in the hotel till I get to my room. I wear wear my mask in the, Restaurant till I get seat at the table. I wear my mask to and from, from church. Why are you afraid? No. I'm honoring the authority that God has placed over us. And as mm-hmm. long as they're not telling me I cannot serve God, then I'm going to honor that. And so far, I have not specifically come under those kind of restrictions. So therefore I am, I am trying to social distance as much as I think about it. And I am wearing a mask when I am not eating or I'm not home or I am not, or I'm not my own car or I am not in the church in my place in the church. Now, some places don't require you to wear a mask anymore. And some, they want you to sleep, in fact. In fact, there is one state, and I won't call the name of the state, where the governor just recommended that people actually wear their mask inside their house. Well, as long as it's his recommendation, okay. Okay. The point here is this. There is nothing in this world that can supersede in your life personally, in your family personally, in my life in my family, in your local church, in my local church, or in this world. Nothing that can supersede our responsibility as the body of Christ, your place and my place, particularly in it as members, and as the body of Christ collectively, to be faithful to the ministry of reconciliation and the word of reconciliation and doing that as an ambassador for Christ. And all of that starts in... Prayer. And if we're not praying as an ambassador, and if we're not praying prayers to facilitate reconciliation, then all of our efforts at reconciliation will be very, very unfruitful for the most part. So here we are. This is the conclusion of part three. And there are three more parts to go. You say, what else does there to teach? You'd be surprised. There is so much more. This is not even scratching the surface of it. We need a revelation from God of who we are in him individually and collectively. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I speak and release that spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of who you are in Christ, of who I am in Christ and who the church is in Christ in this world and what our place and responsibility in place in God is and what our responsibility to that place in God that we've been privileged to be in, to be put in, in this world would come upon all of us In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that the love of God would not leave us alone, that the love of God would compel us, constrain us and bring us into the place with him that no matter what it takes, no matter what it takes for you and me. For your church and my church and for the body of Christ on the earth to fulfill God's plan and purpose in the earth as his conduits for the blessing of Abraham and the promise of Abraham to come on the entire world in a mighty outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Whatever it takes, let it be so. It is so. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you in Jesus' name.